This is a LifeGate Church podcast. Tune in to hear from our team as we encourage you to discover the freedom and purpose that Jesus offers. If you want to find out more about who we are, visit lifegate.org.au. Good morning, everyone. Good morning, those online. Welcome. We just got to get ourselves set up here. Um, if you missed that testimony, those online, we had we started a youth ministry on Friday night at Preston's. We had six young people, which is a great start. I started a youth ministry when I was 19 with eight kids and ended up being 80. It was a real blessing. Welcome to those in the room too. Great to have you guys here. We're going to pray and we're going to dive in. Are you ready? Ethan, are you ready? Good. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for the opportunity to gather in the name of Jesus. Father, as we come to your word now that you would speak to us, that you would move in our lives that you remind me of what I prepared and that you would speak to us. Give us ears, hearts open to hear from you and may you bring transformation to our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, it was the year 1995. I'm 17 years old and I'm in year 12 at, at high school. I was in an economics class. I studied economics for some reason. I don't think it helped me very much, but I studied economics and the teacher was one of the leading teachers in the school and was, and was regularly not there. And so I remember sitting in the classroom and I went, hey, hey, class, can I show you something? Something that I learned which explains what Christianity is about. Can I show you? And I'm like, right, I'm going to show you anyway. So I went to the front and I picked up a chalk, piece of chalk, yeah, and a blackboard. Not this stuff. What's this fancy stuff, yeah? It was a blackboard and a piece of chalk. And I went, well, you can, you, I need it on the texter. It's down there. I'm just going to race off stage and get the texter. I had two black texters. I picked up the wrong one. Here we go. You can describe Christianity like this, that our God made the world, and he made us rulers of the world. There's a, there's a picture of us. That's a little bit low, isn't it? It's a bit mis- misleading, that little, that little dot there, isn't it? Move on. He made us rulers of the world under him. Yeah? But man decided that, God, we don't want to do it your way. We want to do it our way. And we went, God, I'm going to live my life my own way. And we went, God, not interested, thanks. And we became little kings of our own lives. Now, although a God, God is a God of love, he's also a God of justice. And he won't allow our rebellion to him to go on forever. So the Bible teaches us that what we deserve for our, for our sin is death. The Bible says that one day all of us will be judged by God. And because of our wrongdoing, we deserve death. But that's not the end of the story. So God loved us and the world so much that he gave us his son, Jesus, who died on the cross, made a way for our sin to be forgiven, for our relationship with God to be reconciled. But he, only, he didn't just die. Jesus then rose from the dead. Yeah, He rose from the dead. He conquered death and now offers eternal life for everybody who believes in him. So we have two ways to live. One way, we have ourselves. We are the boss of our own lives, and that results in death. Or we can choose to live with Jesus as our king, where we receive forgiveness of sin and eternal life. You have two ways to live. And in that, there's little Bible verses, but that's what I presented to the class when I was 17 years of age. Can someone please take that whiteboard away? Thank you, Christy. We need two people here. Josh, come on down. Oh, Christy. Oh, look at that. Christy. Wow. Well, how? What a, what a, 
what a thought that I would, I would consider that Christy couldn't do that on her own. Thank you, Christy. Now, you, you might think to yourself, 17 years old, wow, that's pretty bold, getting up in front of the, the boys at East Hills Boys High School in a year 12 economics class and present the gospel of Jesus like that. That's pretty bold, but uh, let me tell you why I did it. Well, a, a few months earlier, I, would, I was up at Katoomba. I was at a, at a Christian conference in Katoomba, and and I was there as a 17-year-old guy, and I heard someone present the gospel clearly. The guy spoke, a guy named Al Stewart spoke. He might, Al Stewart, if you're watching this, thank you. Um, he preached on the prodigal son. And at the end of that message, he invited people to pray a prayer to commit their life to Jesus. And although I did it as a kid, that was a moment in my life that I remember as a pivotal moment where I went, God, I want to live a life that honors you. I... I, I now had a clear understanding of, of what God had done for me. That, that our Jesus' death meant that my sin is forgiven. That his resurrection meant that I can have new life. And it was like the lights were switched on. Where I knew it, but I really knew it now. So much so that it, that it motivated me to go up in front of my school and do that thing in front of my class and present my faith and and to live a life that, 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 that honors God because of the hope that I have in Christ. We've been looking at hope as a, as a church over the last, since February, and, and when, the, when the world uses the word hope, we uh, use it like a wish. We uh, hope or we wish this thing would happen, and the thing about that, it's a desire, but there's no guarantee. But when the Bible uses the word hope, it uses it like an expectation or, or an assurance. When you read hope in the New Testament, it's around assurance and expectation. And, and the reason the Bible uses it that way is because of God. Because God is involved in our lives. God is involved around his character and his promises, and he makes promises to us. And because of those promises, we can have assurance and certainty those things will happen because it's God who said that. Let me take you through some of the promises of God. I did this two weeks ago. I want to keep doing it because I want to remind you of the truth. The promise of God is that he's never going to leave you nor you forsake you. He's going to provide for your needs. He's going to forgive your sin, that God is no longer angry with you, that you are accepted by God, that you are loved by God, you are part of God's family. These are the promises for you if, if you're in Christ. If you've accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, these are, this is the truth. This is your now reality. More promises. God promises eternal life. He promises to comfort us in all our troubles, that he's working everything together for the good of those who love him. He's transforming me and you to be like his son, Jesus. And God has good works for us to do. These are, again, are the promises of God that are, that, that are a reality for us. These, these are our hope because of the one who says it, because God who says it for everybody who believes in him. And faith is the open door to hope. When you put your faith in him, you receive all these things. And the hope that we have in God, these, these are promises, these things that God has done for us, the things that God will do for us, is like a springboard or a motivator for us to live a life that pleases Him, to live a life that honors Him. Colossians 1, 3, and 5, we looked at this two weeks ago and it says it so beautifully. We always thank the God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, verse 4, here it is. Because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all God's people, the faith and love that spring 
from the hope stored up for you in heaven. Your hope, this, this, this assurance of eternal life, and not just eternal life, but all that God has done for you, that he loves you, that you're forgiven, that you're chosen, that you're his son, that you're his daughter, that you belong to his family. That, is a, that springs us to live a life of faith in God and to live a life of loving other people. It is a springboard. It's a motivator. So here's a question for you today. And this is the big question for today. If you're taking notes, write this down. If you want to take a photo, this is the one. What motivates you to live a life that honors Jesus? I was talking to someone um, before the service, and the person just said to me, um, they were struggling with some stuff, but then God reminded them of, of a special verse where God met them in the past, and that is a motivator for him to live a life that honors God. I wonder what motivates you to live a life that honors God. My son Aiden um, came home on Friday night with, with half a watermelon. And he, and he told someone that he was going to eat the whole watermelon. And so because he said he was going to eat the whole watermelon, guess what? He's a man of his word. So he ate the red stuff, he ate the white stuff, and he ate the green stuff. And he didn't finish it on Friday night, so he ate it on Saturday and he completed the watermelon. What motivates you to do what you do? What, what motivates you to live a life that, that honors the Lord? Today's message is entitled, Responding to Hope. Responding to the promises of God, responding to all that God has done for us. How do you respond to that? And I want us to look, as I'm looking through the book of Deuteronomy today, at, and we have been in our life groups and in the messages that I'm bringing up for Easter, I want to take you to Deuteronomy chapter 8 today. Great chapter, incredible chapter. And it talks around how God wants them to live and why. What's, what's the motivator? Remember, context, Deuteronomy, they've, the people have come out of Egypt. They've wandered the desert for 40 years. That generation has died out. There's a brand new generation, and they're about to enter the promised land. And before they go in, Moses reminds them, this is the law. This is how God wants you to live. If you live his way, you'll be blessed. If you don't, you're in all sorts of trouble. Um, obey God, obey God as you enter the land. And this is how Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 1 starts. It starts like this. Be careful to follow every command I'm giving you today. Be careful to follow every command I'm giving you today. Live a life of obedience. Live a life that honors the Lord. And then he gives us five reasons. Five reasons to live a life that honors God. I'm going to tell you what the five are, and then we're going to look at the text because I like to know where I'm going. Those who like to know where they're going with a map, they want to, that you've got a destination and you check the map before you get there, this is for you. These are the five reasons. Number one, obedience leads to blessing. The second thing he says, five reasons to live a life that honors God because of what God has done. Third, because of what God will do. Four, because he gives you everything. And then in this chapter, the last thing, he gives them a warning. So we're going, to break this, we're going to break down Deuteronomy chapter 8, 8, 8 into, these first, into these five points. The first point is the longest because it's the most difficult, and then we'll get to, the other, get to the other four. Are you ready for this? So remember, first point, obedience leads to blessings. Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 1. First point is in this one verse. Moses writes to the people, Be careful to follow every command I'm giving you today, so that you may live and increase, and may enter and possess the land 
the Lord promised on oath to your ancestors. One more time. Be careful to obey every command I'm giving you today so that, so that you may be blessed, so that you may live and increase and may enter and possess the land the Lord, your, the Lord promised on oath to your ancestors. Now, it's important that um, you are listening carefully here because we can get this idea of obedience leads to blessing wrong. Yeah? So throughout the book of Deuteronomy, God speaks very clearly to his people. And he says, if you obey me, if you do the things I ask you to do, I'm going to bless you. You're going to win your battles. You're going to have an incredible life. It's going to be set up beautifully for you. But if you disobey me, it's going to be really bad. There's going to be other nations that are going to come and take you. You're going to be taken as captives. It's, it's, it's going to be really bad. Now, that's what God said to the Israelites. And it's important that we say that because that is under the old covenant. And God is speaking directly to them. We can't just grab that verse and that, and that biblical truth and apply it to us today. Because we can't do that. Because it's part of the old covenant and God said it directly to the Israelites. See, as, as Christians, as, as people who are followers of Jesus, we are under the new covenant, which means we're under Jesus, that Jesus came and gave us a new way. Now, the old covenant's still there, right? It's still there, and, it's, and people will be judged by that. But Jesus Christ has come and fulfilled that old covenant for us perfectly. He did all that God required. He lived a perfect life and then went to the cross and died for our sin. And then, he, and then if you're in Christ, he then, we are then included in Christ as, someone who, as people who have fulfilled the law already because Jesus fulfilled it for us. So for Christians, Old Testament, Old Covenant, done, finished, no longer for us because that's been done. Jesus has done it for us. As Christians, we now live under the New Covenant, which is the teachings of, te- teachings of Jesus, the uh, teachings of the New Testament, the, um, being led by the Spirit. Now, that doesn't mean the Old Testament is irrelevant, because if it was was irrelevant, we wouldn't be looking at Deuteronomy today. It's totally relevant because it gives us our history. It helps us understand um, um, how Jesus got to us. It helps us understand God's character. And it also gives us great principles to live by, which we're pulling some principles out of Deuteronomy today. So when we read, obedience leads to blessing, we can't think of it like the Old Testament where if they obey God, it was going to go great for them. If they disobey God, then it would suck for them. That's not how we read it. What we do is grab the principle and look at it through the glasses of the New Testament. And the first thing I want to say about this is is that in some ways this is wrong, and in some ways this is right. Let me tell you what I mean by that. In some way this is wrong. If you think, if I work really, really hard and do all the right things, I'll then be accepted by God, and I'll be blessed by him. Didu, no deal. For the Bible says that we all mess up, we all fall short, none of us are good enough. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 and 9, it says it's, grace by, it's by grace you've been saved, not by works, so that you can't boast, you can't go around and say, look at what I've done, look at what I've done, because it's all about what God has done. So in some ways, obedience leads to blessing is not right, because if you think... Through your ability and your strength and your goodness, God's going to accept you and God's going to bless you. It doesn't work that way. But on the other side, it is right. Because in John chapter 6, when the crowd came to Jesus, they said, what must we do to do the work God requires? And Jesus answered, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he sent. You want to, 
You want to be obedient to God? You want to receive his blessings? You put your faith in Jesus. You put your faith in Jesus. And then you get blessed. Ephesians 1.3 talks about, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in Christ. And then he goes on to talk about we are holy and blameless and adopted and sons and we're going to inherit and we are loved and we're forgiven and all the blessings we have in Christ. It's all there. As soon as you put your faith in Jesus, you immediately walk into all these blessings, all the promises that I put up before. But then, as a Christian, obedience leads to blessing. If you live a life where you choosing to honor God, you're less likely to hurt yourself and you're less likely to hurt others. And if you're less likely to hurt yourself, less likely to hurt others, that sounds like a pretty good blessing. Then you're not carrying the shame, you're not carrying the guilt, you're not, you don't need to ask for forgiveness, you're not having the conflict, you're not. So the greater, the greater obedience, it leads to blessing because you're not carrying as much junk. And the other side of it, you go to Philippians chapter 4, when you're struggling with an issue, when you're worried about this thing in your life, finances, sickness, houses, whatever it is, the Bible says, commit it to God, hand it over to him, and then God will give you his peace. The transforms that is beyond, transcends understanding. So your obedience leads to God's blessing as well. So in one sense, it isn't right if you think you're going to earn God's blessing. No, you put your faith in him and he gives you blessing and you live a life of obedience, which leads to blessing. Is that clear? First point. That's the heavy one. That's the hard one. It gets easier from now. Why, do you, why should you live a life that honors the Lord? Because by honoring him, it leads to blessing. The second thing I want to bring you, the second point I want to bring to you is why you should live a life that honors the Lord because of what God has done. Because of what God has done in your life, what God has done in my life, what God has done in our church, what God has done in our world. What God has done. Back to Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 1. He says, Be careful to follow every command I'm giving you today. And then verse 2 Remember what God has done. Remember. How the Lord your God led you all the way in the wilderness these 40 years to humble and test you in order to know what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep his commands. He humbled you, causing you to hunger and then feeding you with manna, which neither you nor your ancestors had known, to teach you that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. There's a thing that Jesus quotes, isn't it? Verse 4 and 5, your clothes did not wear out and your feet did not swell during these 40 years. Know that in your heart that as a man disciples his son, so the Lord, your God, disciplines you. You know, um, Moses says, live a life that honors God, live a life of obedience because of what God has done. He fed them, he cared for them in the desert, he got them through. And the generation before that, he got them out of Egypt. The generation before that, he promised them, he promised them the land. God has worked and he's, and he's blessed us. And a motivator, a springboard for us to live a life that honors the Lord is to look back and see what he's done. Let me take you back to those promises that, I, that we looked at at the beginning of the message. These are the things that, these are the promises God has done for you, which has happened in the past. Because of Christ's work, you are now forgiven, forgiven, forgiven of your sin. Another promise is that God, no, God is no longer angry with you. 
This is, what, this is what's happening. This is what because of what Christ has done in the past. And by you putting your faith in him, this is now your reality. You are now accepted by God. You're now loved by God. You're now part of God's family. You're now part of God's family. It's all about what God has done in the past. As you look back over your life and you see that God has set you free. As you look back over your life, how you see God's provision. As you look back over your life and see healing and restoration. That is a springboard that is a motivator to go, you know what, God? I want to live a life that honors you. Why should you live a life that honors God? Because of what God has done. The third point we see in this text is because of what God will do. Check out what it says in verse 6. It says, observe the commands of the Lord your God. Walking in obedience to him and revering him. For the Lord your God is bringing you into a land, a land with brooks and streams and deep springs gushing out into the valleys and the hills, a land with wheat and barley, vines and fig trees, pomegranates, olive oil and honey. Wow. A land land where bread will not be scarce and you will lack nothing. A land where the rocks are iron and you can dig copper out of the hills. Wow. It's an incredible place that God has got prepared for you. He says, honor the Lord, obey him for what God is going to do in your life. Go back to the promises of God. What is God going to do in my life? What is God going to do in your life? He says he's never going to leave you nor forsake you. That is now and also in your future. This is what God is going to do in your life. He will provide for your needs. He will give you eternal life. He promises to comfort us in all our troubles. He's going to work everything together for the good of those who love him. He's transforming you to be like his son. And he has God has got good works for you to do. Friends, we have the promises of God around what God has done in the past through Jesus that is now a reality for us. And then we look at what God is going to do in our lives in the future. This is what he's going to do in my life. This is what he's going to do in your life. And you can use that as a springboard, as a motivator to say, God, yes, I'm going to honor you because of what you're going to do in my life. I'm going to choose to honor him because of what God will do. That's the third thing. The fourth thing is this. He gives you everything. In Deuteronomy chapter 8, there's this this ripper, ripper of this little section. We're going to pick it up in our life groups this week. We're going to look at chapter, the first bit of chapter 9 in our life groups. Then we're going to go back to this little passage here because it's incredible. I'm going to read you 10 to 14, then jump down to 17. It says, When you have eaten and are satisfied, praise the Lord your God for the good land he's given you. When you've eaten and you're satisfied, praise God for what he's given you. Be careful that you do not forget the Lord your God, failing to observe his commands, his laws, his decrees, that I'm giving you today. Do not forget the Lord your God. How easy is it when things are going good to forget? Otherwise, when you eat and are satisfied, when you build fine houses and settle down, and when your herds and flocks grow large and your silver and gold increase, and all you have is multiplied, then your heart will become proud. Look at what I've done. And you'll forget the Lord your God, who brought you out of Egypt and out of the land of slavery. Then jump to 17. You may say to yourself, my power and the strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me. I love that. My power and the strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me. That's not God saying that. That's what what people will be saying. And then in verse 18, but remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability 
to produce wealth and so confirms his covenant which he swore to your ancestors as it is today. God is, the, God is the one who gives you the ability to produce wealth. Don't you love that? Why should you live a life that honors the Lord? Because he gives you everything. You know, your ability to make boilers, you sheep metalers, God gave you that ability. Boiler makers, amen. Those people who, are, who have ability to build wealth, God gave you that ability. Those of us who use our brains for a job, God gave you those abilities. Those who have businesses and God ideas, God gave you the ability to do that. Friends, it all came from Him. You have what you have because God is giving you the ability to build it, to create it, to own it, to make it. It's all because of Him. And, because of, and when we know that, that is again another motivator to say, God, wow, I want to live a life that honors you because of everything that you've given me. And the final thing is this. Moses gives a warning to them. Look at verse 19 and 20. Last slide. If you ever forget the Lord your God and follow other gods and worship and bow down to them, I testify against you today that you'll surely be destroyed like the nations the Lord destroyed before you. So you will be destroyed for not obeying the Lord. Now again, old covenant, not for us today. But we can take the principle of a warning. For them, it was, if you, if you obey me, you're going to get the land. If you disobey me, you're going to be destroyed. But there's also a warning principle for us, New Testament believers. We only need to look at Hebrews chapter 6 or the parable of the sower, where it's clear that people who are following God for a season, they get off track. They, they are throw away their faith. They are lose the plot, and they miss out on eternity. Now, some people say, well, those people couldn't have been Christians to begin with because you can't lose your salvation. Other people say, well, yeah, you can lose your salvation, and there's a warning. Either way, don't put yourself in a position where you're not trusting God and you're not loving God and you're not serving God. Because if you keep loving God and serving God, you've got nothing to worry about. You keep putting your faith in Him, you've got nothing to worry about. But if you start to wander... If you throw him away, well, there's a warning. There's a massive warning. There's a massive warning for us. Five reasons to live a life that honors the Lord. Number one, because obedience leads to blessing. Number two, what God has done. Number three, what God will do. Number four, he gives you everything. And number five, there is a warning for us. I wonder which one of these reasons springs you to live a life that honors the Lord. Which one of these motivates you to live a life that say, you know what, God, I want to live a life that honors you. Before I finish, I want to say this. You know, these Israelites, they tried. I'm, I'm now in Joshua in my quiet times. And they go to Jericho and they win this cool battle. And they go to Ai, this, this little thing. And, and they get beat up because someone took something that they shouldn't have taken. And then they kill that person for what they did, and then they're okay again, and then they sin again, and then they're okay again, and they sin again, and they sin again, and they sin again, and they sin again. And a few hundred years later, they're taken into exile from the north, and another hundred years later, the south is taken into exile because they were trying to do the right thing out of their own abilities and their own strength. And they couldn't do it. They couldn't do it. 
And friends, it's the same with us today. If you are trying to live a life that honors God, out of your own strength and your own ability, you just can't do it. You can't do it. And so in Deuteronomy chapter 30, God points them this beautiful picture of what Christ will do for them. Look at this. Deuteronomy 36. The Lord your God will... This is 22 chapters later. This is about what our God will do in the future. After he says... After Moses says, God knows you're all going to mess it up. But then he gives us a glimpse. The Lord your God will, will, will circumcise your heart, will change your heart and the hearts of your descendants so that you may love him with all your heart and with all your soul and live. Friends, there is a picture of what Christ has done for us. That in the Old Testament, you are on your own doing it, trying to honor God and you're stuffing it up. Now in Christ, when you come to Jesus, he not only loves you and accepts you and gives you eternal life. He puts his spirit in you and he gives you a new heart. Not a heart of stone, a heart of flesh. And that heart that God changes and his spirit in you that changes helps you live a life that honors him. God wants you to live a life that honors him and he never asks you to do something that he doesn't help you to do. And he says, I want you to live this life and I'm putting my spirit in you to change you, to mold you. To live a life that pleases me. So as we come to the end of this passage, the five reasons again, then there. Which one of them are you going to grab a hold of today? You know what, God, I, I, I want your blessings in my life. I want to honor you for what you've done. I want to honor you for what you will do. I know you've given me everything, God, so I'm going to respond by living a life that honors you. And that warning, I'm not going to go anywhere near that. When you work out the motivator for you, Recognize you can't do it on your own. Ask the Holy Spirit to come. Ask the Holy Spirit to come and meet you and change you and give you what you need to change. Amen? Maybe you're here today and you've never committed your life to Jesus. Maybe you've never done it. Today I want to give you the opportunity. If you're watching online, this is for you as well. I'm going to pray a prayer. And if you want to receive the blessing of God, the the hope, the promises of God in your life, it starts by committing your life to Jesus. And I want to give you that opportunity right now. So, Father in heaven, thank you for Jesus. Thank you that he died for me and rose from the dead. God, I'm sorry for my wrongdoing. Please forgive me. I choose to follow Jesus all the days of my life. In Jesus' name. Amen. If you just prayed that prayer, you become a Christian best decision you could ever make. We're going to have a prayer team here at the end. I encourage you to come forward and someone will pray with you or go to the start here desk. Or if you pray that online, click on the prayer tab. Let us know you prayed the prayer to become a Christian and we want to help you on that journey of following him. Thanks for joining us on the LifeGate Church podcast. Our church is a place to discover the freedom and purpose that Jesus offers.